Welcome to Breaking Silos. We are an interdisciplinary student-run podcast that exists to foster interdisciplinary development in higher education. We think that this goal can be achieved by breaking the academic silos and by showcasing interdisciplinary ideas, conversations, and by providing professional development for graduate students with the ultimate goal of preparing them for solving real-world problems in academia or industry. I'm your co-host, Prakrit, and I'm a graduate student studying neurobiology with a focus in genomics, and I'm accompanied by my co-host, Scott, who is a third-year PhD student studying high-energy astrophysics. Welcome to this episode of Breaking Silos. We hope you enjoy this. What you're hearing right now is a song from Jack Carson's Gene Tunes, a computer software program that converts genetic nucleotides into art and music making the piece completely and uniquely yours. All right, let's get into it then. Hello, everyone, and my name is Prakrit, and I'm again joined by Scott and with Jack Carson, who is a senior genetics, computer science, and genetics and computer science major at Clemson, and he's also the inaugural Catalyst competition winner, um, where he pitched his product called Gene Dunes, which he'll tell a little bit more about in just a second, um, and, and his interests lie in genomics and computer science and solving real-world problems which lie at the intersection of biology and, um, and computation. He's, in addition to winning this competition, he's received numerous scholarships and awards um, like the Presidential Scholarship, the Palmetto Pact Scholarship, Palmetto Fellow Scholarship, and many others. Um, so the Catalyst competition is a comp- uh, is. Uh, we just talked about this. It's an accelerator program through the College of Science at Clemson University. It's a two-semester entrepreneurship challenge, which culminates in a pitch competition, which is going to happen on March 15th um, of 2023. And uh, and it seeks to support students in developing um, innovative business ideas, which Jack came up with and ended up winning it. Um, and basically, student teams can apply to receive seed money to develop concepts and um, and to develop prototypes. Uh, and you also get a lot of mentorship and support from working with professionals and rep- representatives from the campus uh, community or just entrepreneurs in general. And um, and following this this process of mentorship um, or incubation, if you will, um, students end up pitching their ideas in the spring. Um, and um, and yeah, so we're here to understand what what Jack's journey looked like in this in this process. And uh, as we always do, we'll begin with a with an icebreaker. So yeah, Scott. well, Jack, thanks for being <laughs> on here. We, uh, we, uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So uh, if you could have any entrepreneur uh, or leader as your mentor, uh, dead or alive, uh, who would you, who'd you dead select? Dead or alive. That was a new addition. Um, I actually thought about this question. I went back and forth. Um, I think I would settle on Steve Jobs, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, even though kind of like the onus is that he's not a nice guy and he doesn't treat his engineers really well, I feel like being around someone like that who can just twist reality and make his dreams come true, like we all have iPhones here, mm-hmm. we all have his computers, I think that would be a really great life experience to have as someone who wants to build new things. So For that's sure. what I settled on. Yeah, yeah I was watching like a, a documentary on just how great a designer Steve Jobs was. Even if you look at Apple's campus, because um, yeah. they moved to their campus, they were like working out of like rented places. What what a, what a mind, you know? So it's, that's a good answer. Um, I, w- I was surprised, while you think about it, I was surprised that you said Steve Jobs, because when I heard did you, you... What did you think I was going to say? Because the way you talk, I don't know, it's like a strong resemblance to Elon Musk. I don't know. <laughs> I, have you ever received that before? No, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, I, you have a strong resemblance I think, to I think he's a, he's a great person to follow as well if you're into entrepreneurship oh yeah because he kind of has the same kind of he sees some problem in some field that he doesn't really understand and then he just sinks his teeth in yeah and takes it over yeah truly interdisciplinary if i could just um touch on like the catalyst the idea of having like an entrepreneurship competition sure yeah because like the idea of entrepreneurship is it's essentially a competition right Mm -hmm. a bunch of different ideas trying to gain time in people's space so I think that the fact that they put in seed money, put in like a competition where you have to pitch your idea, you have to just like put it out there mm. and you have to, and you have the ability to win money on top of it. So there's, you know, the carrot in front of you. I think that's a really great idea for getting entrepreneurship off the ground here at Clemson. 
I so agree. I think everything yeah. they did was, was like a fantastic dead job. Yeah. Fun yeah. fact, even I did one of one of these competitions. I pitched uh, an idea for a dental app that would connect you Whoa. in third world countries if you want a, a access to a nearest dentist, because not every developing country has access to one. So yeah, I awesome. did that, and I surprisingly got funded for it back in the day. So uh, oh. I agree that it's, it's definitely a good way. If you have never even thought about pursuing entrepreneurship, yeah, uh, totally. it's just a nice environment where you can just get mentorship and and people can join your team if they like your idea. I think those those things are so crucial in, in kickstarting something, right? There's like this greatest uh, kind of potential energy that you want to like climb that hill, and then everything is kind of at least it moves forward, right? Yeah, so, definitely, yeah. definitely. So were you waiting for something like a comp? Did you have an idea? Oh, you were waiting for a competition. Not. I had or? no idea. Um, so for context here, it was last year, I think, the beginning of my junior year, and you know, this is a time when you're like, oh, I should look at internships. I should look at jobs. I need to get like my resume out there. And then I saw this um, like flyer or something for a catalyst competition. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I could probably like write some, do something interesting here. And so I signed up for it. I was like, what's the worst that's going to happen? And then I came up with a couple ideas over like the first semester of mm -hmm. working on it. And then at the start of like, at the start of the spring semester is when I actually started first meeting with the people on my team, um, Dr. Arnholt at the genetic center. And I gave him like, over for a podcast here. Yeah, awesome, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but I pitched, um, I pitched some of my like entry ideas to him, and he was like, "No, absolutely not. <laughs> Aren't gonna work in the market." That man is very frank, so I, I can see that. Yeah, he was like, "Those suck, basically." And I was like, "All right, this is a really quick feedback loop, so I kind of like this already." Because, mm. like, a lot of the, like sometimes you'll just like have this idea and you'll stick with it in your head and you'll say, "It's, I think it's cool. Like, why wouldn't it work?" Yeah. But then you finally present it to someone or anyone, like to the market, for example, mm -hmm. and they say, no, it actually sucks. <laughs> so um, we kind of like refined the idea of putting genetics into like a consumer product. Everybody likes mm -hmm. music. Everybody likes art. At least most people like music and art. And a lot of, and everyone likes to have some idea of themselves as like, I am special. Mm -hmm. So if I have my own unique piece of music, or my own unique piece of artwork, that has more intrinsic value to me than just like any piece of music that anybody can listen to. Yeah, uh, before we, I guess, get more into the weeds or ask you more, can you talk about uh, your final product? Can you talk about Gene Tunes right now, just so people know? Yeah, just like super high level overview. Um, sure, yeah, the, the start. <laughs> because right, you're, you're talking about, you know, your own personalized music, because this is what your project is, right? Yeah. So. Um, just like a really high level overview of like how I think about genetics and computer science is to me like genetics is like you have your A's, T's, C's and G's, right? And those make up genes. And computer science you have your zeros and ones. So essentially I thought, well, I mean they're kind of the same thing and we just have different levels of abstraction that allow us to like run software or proteins to become proteins. Mm. So wouldn't it be cool if I could find a way that I like to map these A's, T's, C's, and G's to uh, ones and zeros, basically. Hmm. And so... How does that create an art form? And also, because again, I, I am kind of in the field, you know, yeah. uh, broadly kind of somewhat involved. Um, I don't, I'm guessing at the time they didn't have like sequencing data available unless it was publicly oh, available. Not. Yeah, so like, not. how does one think of like I was describing to somebody that Gene Tunes is like Spotify meets Twenty Three and Me or something like that. Uh, maybe that's yeah, a something like oversimplification that, sure. of of a really interesting and unique and novel idea. Uh, but how did you think about this? Like I would not even in my wildest dream imagine art form like kind of individualized to to a person like songs and yeah. And I don't remember where I found it exactly. I remember talking to Dr. Arnold about it for a while, and he was just like, I would really like a ringtone. That, <laughs> And I was like, all right, I can make you a ringtone. But then I also found some article of some guy making, like, protein music in, like, the 80s. Interesting. Where it was basically, like, the, um, the polarities or some properties of some proteins. Sure. And he would use those, and he would make, like, little notes with it. And I was like, that's a really great idea. So maybe I could do something similar to that. And um, through like a lot of trial and error mm. and a lot of how do I map, do I map an A to like a note C? Do I map yeah. A, A to a chord, to a duet? Do I map it to like a whole little sequence of notes? Like mm. maybe I, 
So um, a lot of trial and error went into that whole process. And so can you, can you yeah, can you uh, jump into that a bit more of how do you go from the A's, T's, G's, and zeros and ones and lead that to to an individualized piece of music? You're asking him for this business idea. Oh, <laughs> is, that, is, that, is, that, is that a trade secret? Uh, I don't know. Is yeah, you can go ask me afterwards. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, um, so I guess, uh, right, you have a, your, your background's not in business, but no, in, in Catalyst, you sort of have to pursue an entrepreneurial spirit, right, and, uh, and, and pursue this. Can you talk about, um, you know, getting started and sort of, the business side of things, especially without that being a, a background that you have? Yeah. Um, so obviously I'm not like a business major. I'm not trained to be a business person at all, but I'd consider myself like pretty knowledgeable about how markets work, how businesses work. I like to yeah. read a lot. So mm -hmm. in generally it's kind of people enjoy when you provide things to them that make them happy. That's like yeah. very simple bottom line. If I can give you something that you enjoy, that you want to spend time with, then it's a great product. Mm -hmm. And so my whole approach of the competition was like, I'm just going to make a product that everybody will enjoy to like a little bit or at least find it a little bit interesting. Mm -hmm. It'll take up like a small fraction of their thoughts. And then I'm not going to even think about like the product side or the marketing side. I'm just going to make this as best as I can and then pitch what I know about it. That's very interesting. And I know there's like an element of, because um, you said that your, your main kind of intention or focus in a competition, which I think has limited time, because I remember when I took part in it, and it was like- It's you like have, 10 minutes. Yeah, you have the weekend and figure it out and you know- Yeah, you have your PowerPoint, you practice your PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah kinda, like how, can, how much can you do in, in two days? But um, there was an element, of, so and we'll pro provide this um, article that the College of Sciences provided. So you eventually you came up with this idea of um, involving NFTs into this, which which I think is pretty smart because I think the music industry has been slowly incorporating that in there. Um, it, like it's it's a form of individualization, right? So like, how does how did how do you like come up with that idea of monetizing it after having? Pitch this idea and like like you successfully captured somebody's interest and, yeah. and curiosity, right? Yeah, I mean the NFT was kind of like just a lucky coincidence, I would say, because I was For already sure. working on like this. Um, the idea is essentially like you make this music and it's yours alone, right? Mm. But at the same time, people in the crypto space were like, "Hey, we have this thing where if you buy it, it's your own, right?" So those kind of two kind of like work together. Hmm. Yeah, that hey. you can if you already have something that's individualized, you can just convert it into an NFT and say, this is the hash for this NFT. Mm. If you see this piece of art, this is this person's piece of art. Exactly, yeah. So it took a lot of looking on um, like Web3 forums and stuff, how do I make an NFT in the first place? Wow. And then just tapping that on. That's so it was, I don't know. I think another really interesting thing I liked about the competition was I would have never probably thought to like look at how to make an NFT mm. if I wasn't in this kind of spot. Can you describe for those who have no clue about what an NFT an is? An NFT is a non-fungible token. Mm. And what that essentially means is that a fungible token is one that you can look at and say, all right, I have multiple fungible tokens, but a non-fungible token is one where you can say, oh, I have this unique hash that can't be the product of a reverse function, mm. so nobody else can see this unless I provide them the key. Right. So if I have the key, I have ownership. Is mm. the idea, and for which you pay money. So yeah, <laughs> so that, yeah. that's where the money that's comes in. That's basically the idea. Uh, well, that's cool. Well, this is this is really neat. Like you know, you've you've definitely had this unique idea. You've successfully captured uh, people's attention uh, with because that was your goal. Um, did you? Add, I know this is. And you were a junior when when you actually won this yeah, competition. Yeah, I was a junior. Um, how did you um, think about? Oh, maybe I should wait until graduation. I'm just like two years away, and I have this idea. Maybe I'll let it, you know, incubate. Like I said just now, or incubate, uh, like what's yeah. the, what's the? Did you ever kind of fight this battle? Or maybe should I wait until uh, I graduate and then pursue this, um, or like yeah. just take just take the leap of faith and and go for it? I don't know. My like personal belief is that everyone has some ideas that they think could work. Maybe mm -hmm. maybe not everybody, but anyone who has an idea is always fighting like this axis of like, 
I'm really like scared. I don't want to pursue this or like I have to pursue this. It's my only option. Yeah. And just like entering myself in the competition, like I ha I was over here on this line where I'm like, oh, you know, I maybe have some ideas, but like I would never like actually make something out of it. Mm. So like I entered the competition and like wham, I'm over here now. It's like immediately pushes you out of your comfort For zone. Sure, yeah. yeah, like I'm not a very great public speaker like most people. I'm not a great job. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very great at like presenting ideas sure. and like talking with a suit on, you know? Yeah. That's just not my thing. <laughs> Which and is now, the, by the way, if you go to Catalyst competition everywhere, it's like it's literally just me in a suit. And I'm <laughs> and just talking. like, yeah. But it's kind of the idea that just like pushes you out of your comfort zone immediately. Sure. Yeah. And you have to like keep building new things and you have Absolutely. to keep trying new things. Mm -hmm that I really enjoyed about the competition. Yeah. And that really embodied the entrepreneurial spirit to me. For sure, yeah, I mean, you know, like when you think of just the aspiring college entrepreneur, you think of the startup founder who just, you know, will drop out and will give it- The, the, the real Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg yeah, or, sure. you know, whoever you can think of uh, who dropped out. Uh, but, you know, like, and I looked this up actually, so a lot of study that's, that's done shows that um, ninety-five percent of the entrepreneurs will at least have a bachelor's degree, um, and I think the average age of a tech startup is thirty-nine years old. And and this is the most interesting one: a twenty eighteen study shows that a sixty-year-old entrepreneur is three times more likely to build a successful startup than a thirty-year-old founder, and a forty-year-old founder is two point one times more likely to be successful than a twenty-five-year-old founder. So so the college-age founder is not and only like less common than expected, but uh, but they're also less likely to be successful. This is not to like dissuade anyone <laughs> from anyone to like actually start it, uh, but. This is what the data is saying. Absolutely. And I like, was actually like really interested by the data as well. Do you guys think that age is just like a positive function of entrepreneurial success? Or do you think it was more like, if I'm 60 and I'm opening a business, I've already opened five that have maybe done so-so. So that's, that's what I'm thinking, all right, I, I'm, where it's like the fact that a 60-year-old is three times more likely to build a successful startup than a 30-year-old, and then you know that's two times than a 25-year-old. Yeah, I was sort of thinking the same thing, where it's like, oh, maybe you didn't start your own business, but you were a part of five other businesses on the yeah. ground floor, right? And so you have a lot of experience. I wonder if the signal is in reverse, where it's like, if I'm 20 years old and I've already been a part of seven startups, yeah. would I be seven times as more likely as someone who's 60 and has been a part of one startup? Yeah, exactly, right? That's just my... Thinking. As well as that, you also have capital. You're assuming that you're 60 and you've been working for the last 40 years, right? Yeah. And not completely like lost it all at the casino or something, right? So, you know, <laughs> your willingness, as you were saying, that that meter of your willingness to take a risk, you actually can say, hey, here's 10% of my you know, savings or something, which I can lose and still be okay. Mm, yeah. And that could, at 60, be a big, big chunk of change. And then, I don't know, what, what's the age now? It's like, you just have to go five years and then you can start taking out Social Security, right? So, yeah, or yeah. whatever. So, it's yeah. like, you're pretty secure at, at, at age 60. But at 25 or something, it's, you know, I think you, what you're saying is, is true. That if you had, it's more of an indicator of experience than it yeah. is really of an age thing, right? You could be 60 I and totally never get done your anything. point too of like, um, oh, I'm 25, I have maybe 10K in the bank, I don't want to spend this on idea and have it go bust. Yeah. Whereas if I'm 60 and I'm like, all right, I'm going to start my small business, see what happens. Mm -hmm. You have like a different attitude where it's okay if you mess up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I was reading like, and I haven't included this in, in the link, but I'll find that article somewhere. They were talking about how hireable are people who have failed startups. And the data are like pretty, pretty sad because um, it it becomes really challenging to get like a, a job in you know in, in industry after having a failed startup versus somebody else who has not had that experience. Uh, but but yeah, like I said, this should not like dissuade anybody from from like starting a business because like my college roommate, um, kid you not, he had like a he had a YouTube channel which is called AppFind by the way, and he, he he used to like review. So I remember him like waking up at like 2 a.m. to get in line to buy the latest iPhone 7 at the time. And he would record, our dorm room was a recording studio. Um, so like going from record, like reviewing the latest iPhone, like he now like use that to, if you have a business, you can go to him and he'll make YouTube ads for you. 
super successful business, yeah, apparently. Awesome. So uh, definitely there's this element of perseverance and um, you know dedication, of course, with the right kind of people, mentorship, which I will get into in just a second. Um, so yeah, hopefully this is also encouragement, but also kind of like a maybe not worth you know, dropping out, because there's something, the sense of security about a college degree, right? I don't know, but it's just how society has shaped things, and, and yeah. something about a college degree that kind of makes you more hireable for some reason, um, or, I don't know, it's just, that's a piece of paper at the end of the day, you might or might not use it as much, but still, there's, there's something something secure behind yeah. it, for sure. I find I'm, I'm not a um, hiring manager or anything for any large companies, yeah. but I, um, if it was me hiring, I would really respect the perseverance of someone Absolutely. who at least tried and failed and you put their ideas on stage. Yeah, I mean, the job of the hiring manager is to make sure that this person stays there, you know, and, and that's what they're looking for. So I think the, the study which I was talking about was that because the person had had a failed startup, chances of them staying in, in a firm, because that's what hiring managers get kind of rewarded for. Interesting. So uh, that's just me kind of joining the dots uh, here. I was going to say, yeah, because you could definitely have someone who... Uh, has started a startup and f I guess failed or had it you know sort of go under but I would suspect that the skills that they learned uh, they're way better at them than their college degree right that sure. uh, it seems to be when you once you really have to dive into something at least something that you know that you have to sell uh, your your skill base would be would be way better than uh, oh, for sure yeah. some of this other stuff especially since yeah I so I just think that's kind of odd. So maybe it's there, right? If you failed, the hiring manager's worried that once you have stable income, then you'll leave to do another startup, right? As opposed to mm. retaining you. So I didn't realize that that hiring managers are care more about retention than. Yeah, uh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess it kind of makes sense, but also, I don't know. Some places have fast turnaround by yeah, default. Yeah, you're kind of just taught like, or I guess at least my perception of it was like. I'm just going to hire the best people no matter what mm. to do the best work that they can. Not so much like, am I going to have the best worker who's going to stay for two months or maybe like an okay worker who's going to stay for 20 years. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So uh, you, you told us earlier that you had, uh, right, not really a training or expertise, I guess, uh, or training uh, in, in business or any of these things, but you said you like to read, and you said you like to you know learn a lot. Yeah, so. my business training and my initial computer training was just reading books. Yeah, so I, I'm curious in terms of maybe if you want to name an influential uh, book or resource on you know business or an influential book or resource on on your sort of computer training uh, that you'd um, recommend to to people. Um, definitely for startups, um, Peter Thiel's Zero to One. That's kind of like the the go-to one that everybody talks mm -hmm. about. Um, there was another book I really liked. It was called Show Your Work, which is basically the antithesis of the book was like, you should always present what you've done to the public space because the worst that's going to happen is you're going to learn what you did wrong or you're going to be ridiculed, and that's okay at the end of the day. Mm. So you should always put your best foot forward and just do the work, see what happens. I think that's the story of a graduate student. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's so familiar. Uh, so, so I mean, looks like you did have like some background in, in genomics, genetics, and you have access to these um, professors, uh, access to like public databases like NCBI. I'm guessing you use some of it. Yeah, totally. Um, For all of like the um, the sample products that I generated, whether it was like a human gene making a piece of music, or it, it was all from NCBI. NCBI That's so Like cool, public, man. just genes from a sapien. data. Yeah. So how does, I'm sorry, I'm taking over his question, but like how does, uh, how do you learn like these technical skills? Because there's one thing to know how to code. Uh, and and cause I think a lot of times people have ideas. So for example, one of my, um, I haven't have asked for permission for this, but I'll still say it. Uh, so one of my, you met her, Saidat. So she wears a headscarf, she's Muslim. So I was noticing that to put her earphones in, she has to go like put her hands underneath the scarf and like really have this huge issue in like, you know, getting it underneath because you have to wear it underneath the, the scarf, right? Yeah. So it's a huge issue. So I was like, hey, why don't we just like make holes on the side and just make it in a way that you can <laughs> just, you know, put them, put them in somehow. Uh, but it's already, somebody's already taken this idea. So even if you hear this, um, you're too late. Uh, but... But like I don't have the, the skills for that, right? Like was I was this know. your startup? Was this your startup idea? For yeah, I was like the business idea, right? It solves the problem. It, it gets people. It solves the problem. Yeah. yeah. So I, w I was just uh, thinking like um, f a 
lot of times the hurdle is that you don't have the technical skills to, to start something new. Um, so, so for things that you probably did not ha were not as familiar with, um, what did that process look like for you when you were like, oh, maybe I, I, can, I want to do this, but there's just that hurdle of me not knowing how to do this. So yeah, um, um, what was that journey like for you? I had no idea how to um, make music scripts in Python before mm. I started. I had a very vague knowledge of Python and I didn't know how to do any artwork. I didn't know how to do yeah. any vector work or anything like that. And I screwed up a lot, a lot of times. Wow. I got so many compilation errors, so many, you've used up too much memory, please try something else. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of stuff. And um, yeah, it's okay to mess up a lot of times. Absolutely. You know? Going back to like the hiring manager point, I would much rather be the person who messed up like making a web application a hundred times mm. and who got it perfect that one time and who now knows everything about it than the college kid who was like, oh, I like ran some predefined script that made a web app for me and I know yeah. how it works. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it is going on Stack Overflow and copying stuff, but if you don't know what your code does, yeah, it's it's pointless. You, you don't even know what's gonna happen and maybe there's some error in the output. You saw some part of it that's not making sense, but the other part is like just yeah, totally. unrelated. And the fun part to me about making something that like isn't on Stack Overflow, obviously, mm -hmm. is that I'm gonna run into things that nobody else has run into yeah. and I'm gonna have to actually use my brain and think about how to solve this unique problem that I've run into. I really For sure, kinda yeah. like, so I actually work at um, Elios Technologies, which is like a local yeah software company where we have an app that's used by truckers to manage like loads, messaging, mm. these kind of things. And that's kind of the same work I do there where I come into work and we have some problems with some systems that we have and it's like, all right, go solve this problem. Mm. And obviously there's no stack overflow internally. <laughs> no company has that. So yeah. yeah, that's what I found that I've really enjoyed. It's just solving problems like that's, that, that's just awesome, building man. stuff. Yeah. So would you have a recommendation for uh, especially people interested in pursuing novel ideas or like if you were to, because are you about to graduate then from university yeah, as well? feels weird, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then looking back at your time in college, I guess this is also a, a semi-related question. Uh, from what you've learned doing uh, this catalyst and building this, uh, this company and whatnot, uh, would you make recommendations on how you think college could be improved? Would you say, oh, you know, uh, get rid of these classes and, and make people I mean, have a startup? Or Yeah, I feel like I have some crazy ideas, but I mean, they're probably not that crazy. I would say everyone has to take one computer science class, Okay. for example. Um, I know we have an entrepreneurship class here. I actually dropped out of that entrepreneurship class. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> um, but I would say kind of like, like for genetics in particular, like the kind of like the capstone course is like mm. pick a paper and break it down and explain what the paper is talking about in like a scientific novel way. I would say that a really good thing for every college student to be able to do is like the antithesis of that instead of like mm. analyzing somebody else's work, make something of your own and then have your peers analyze it that way. Yeah, that's, that's a good feedback. And I think that's something that happens through the process of being part of something like the Catalyst competition. Yeah. And I think that's a good segue into like the next part, which... I mean, which I, I'm sorry to cut you no, off, no, but no, I'm no. honestly, I'm obviously very biased that I think everyone should know how to like build something that they enjoy building. But I yeah. think that... I mean, I think you, you do need like, that there's one thing having a novel idea, um, and then there's one thing, and I think they call it, um, how do you solve, it's called the, the value proposition. Like, how do you solve the problem that you're trying to yeah, solve? Yeah, how right? am I adding value to Exactly, so I think product. without that, there probably isn't much scope for somebody to understand what you're trying to do, because there's many problems that you can solve, but how exactly you're gonna do it, even if you might not have achieved something like a prototype, I think they call it uh, a minimum viable product. MVP, uh, baby. MVP. Uh, yep. So actually, that's a good segue into this this uh, competition. Uh, what does that competition look like? For some people, they might be listening to this, maybe they'll participate in this uh, come next fall. Uh, and of course, hopefully, this is also publicity for, for College of Science to, to let them know that, hey, we're, we're actually promoting this. Um, what, what does this uh, kind of weekend and the two semesters, what do they look like? Uh, if you just could just break it down for us. Um, well, 
if you think about the finish line as having your minimum viable product and your pitch mm-hmm. and you understand what your product does and you understand everything about your product, um, for me personally, the first semester maybe was just thinking about ideas, thinking about um, ways to implement the idea. I don't think I wrote any code or had any kind of sketch down until the second semester. Oh, so this was only an idea in the beginning when you first kind of yeah took part in this. Okay, wow, okay. I turned it into kind of like a, like a systems process, like I have my idea, I'm gonna iterate until I'm happy with my idea, and then I'm gonna go into application, and I'm gonna iterate until I'm happy with my application, wow. and then I'm gonna make it like business-oriented and iterate mm-hmm. until I like that. So you do get you know, some, some time to kind of work on this, think, think it through. Um, so did they like ever take any like votes? Because everybody has an idea. That's how my accomplished that one. Not one, I was, I got $100 worth of funding, so it's, I did not win it. <laughs> but, uh, but like, what did it look like? Do, do people come in and they take votes on whose idea uh, will become like a team of its own or something like that, like a hackathon or what, like, what is for, it? For, um, you mean like for the final competition kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, um, so we had like a panel of entrepreneurs who are local to Clemson, okay. who have already built companies in the past, and we essentially had, I think, 10, 10, 15 minutes to stand in front of them, pitch our ideas to them, and to everybody else in the crowd, mm. which is a great signal, feedback. Absolutely. Yeah, and basically, you had your turn, you went back, you watched the other competitions, then the judges deliberated for a little bit, they came back out with the rankings, essentially. That's cool, man, yeah. Yeah. A lot, lot of cool stuff that I saw, at least, um, when I took part, and, and again, not sure what the other ideas were, but I'm sure they were pretty interesting. I definitely read an article about that, but um, do you wanna get the next question for us? Sorry, I, I know I took over your one of No, the I was just, uh, <laughs> I was sort of curious if, if Jack wanted to talk more about, uh, so I, I liked this idea where you said you sort of you didn't even write a line of code until you had were very happy with you had iterated through what your idea would really be, and yeah. then and then you started moving to the application. Because I know sometimes with research, I I sort of jump the gun where I'm like, oh, oh I like need to just get work done. I yeah, just need no, to get work I'd, done. Everybody and, and, has that tendency. And so instead of just sitting and thinking, right, you know, which is uh, can be difficult, just going after something, and then it's you step back and you. I was just coding for the last two hours and. Oh, fine. Just now I'm going to scrap all of it because yeah. the idea I had in the first place isn't what I wanted. Or want if I had thought 30 seconds longer, the code takes three lines and not, you know, three <laughs> pages or whatever. Yeah. So. I think one of the biggest things for me was I mean, like, obviously, I did that a lot, even though I had some finished ideas, because that's just the process of making a product and messing up. Is that it's okay to spend two hours just screwing around with something, even if it messes up, as long as you take away a lesson from it? Mm. Yeah. Which it seems to be, I think, what you've sort of hit at this almost whole time is that you learn by just doing things and, and learn. And as you were saying, the skill that really seems to be coming out of all this is that you learn how to solve problems that people haven't solved before. Right? You talked about at your company, there's no stack exchange to, to look at. And that by uh, pursuing some idea until you know, it either burns to the ground or you know, at least is through a lot of pain... Uh, you're able to, to create something afterwards. No, I just uh, um, I wouldn't mind spending a you know a little longer talking about this idea that I think that's where people learn. Is I you know I, I think previously we, t- we talked about project based learning that I still remember projects from high school or whatnot where no yeah totally. because it was a project and because I had to invest heavily into it I learned way more mm-hmm. than sort of you sit in a classroom bored out of your mind thinking about things you'd rather be doing because you have no investment in what you're actually doing as opposed to this is something that I'm invested in, and and maybe uh, I want to win this competition kind of thing. Yeah, if there's like, even that. That's a good point. Yeah. I remember like one of my earliest learning experiences where I was like, "Dang, I actually like learned something." Was we had like this Vex Robotics competition where it was like, mm. build this robot to get through this maze kind of thing in elementary school, uh-huh. and that's where I first started thinking about like, all right, this robot has to like actually I have to explicitly tell it to turn at this location. And I have to think about what kind of walls is this robot around at this time, mm-hmm. which is something you don't really learn unless your robot actually like hits the wall, right? <laughs> and then it's yeah. stuck. So just project-based learning and like messing up and then trying again mm. was like the absolute best thing ever. That's, that's, that's a good was. point. 
Have you guys seen any parallels to that in your research? I know it's a bit more <laughs> advanced than mine. Oh, well, uh, yeah, in terms of uh, I'm learning so much more because it's basically like here is this. So my advisor kind of functions in a manner where he sort of gives you the idea and then it's like, go, have go, fun. Yeah, go yeah. figure out how, how to get to that. And, mm-hmm. and thankfully, at least for this first project uh, that, that I'm working on, you know, there's sort of a foundation to, to work off of. Uh, based on previous work, but then there sort of just happened to be another project that popped up, and now it's sort of like okay, I'm trying to make my make my way through it and figure things out. And most of the time, you you hit a point and you're like, I need to know this amount of information or this kind of information about this thing. Mm. Okay, that just requires me making a code to pull out this information and look at this information in this way. Yeah, and then to me, the best part it doesn't feel like the best part in the moment is when you hit that point where you're like damn, I don't know this. I need to go and, like, <laughs> learn this. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, I mean, for, for me as well, like, so my research topic, uh, so I have to do a qualifying exam as part of this PhD program, and for that I'm writing a NIH-style research proposal, and I, I knew it has to, it cannot be the, the top of my dissertation research topic, but it has to be kind of a closely related field. Um, and I read a lot of literature about that, but until I started writing that NIH-style kind of grant proposal, uh, man, I was not retaining information. I was not thinking through it. I was not able to like find the kind of the gaps which we, and again, we, in my in my head, you come across gaps, research questions that we, you know, are trying to figure out in our research uh, by by discovering it first, right? Uh, you just don't find a gap in, in the field just like that. You have to kind of immerse yourself, you know, you have to take action for kind of drawing similar similarities to what, what you were saying. Um, and I think that's very interesting because... You have to see it to believe it in a way. Exactly, exactly. And and knowing is, is such an important step, at least in, in writing grants in, in higher education and, and academia. Um, so I think that's... And I'm, I, like, I know you're a, you also do play with a little bit of bioinformatics, but uh, you, cannot, <laughs> you, you cannot learn how to code or do bioinformatics without actually doing it and without it actually failing a uh, hundred times. Uh, it just doesn't work. So, yeah, um, yeah I think... Why are all my genes methylated? Something's wrong here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have... I'm writing a, a manuscript right now and, and I kid you not, I think I've repeated this workflow at least 20 times now. Uh, it's annoying. It's annoying. But um, it feels like you're getting you're getting closer? My understanding has improved so much. So, <laughs> uh, like so much. So... Um, but, but I think, but I think what we're getting at here is some of the barriers for entrepreneurship, right? Somebody is listening to this, probably has a novel idea, uh, but there's some barrier keeping them away. And I actually looked this up. Uh, so this is called something called as pre-entrepreneurship. And so pre-entrepreneurs are those people who are kind of leaving a business idea, uh, and these people have not previously owned a business or have been deeply interested in, but they have been uh, deeply interested in starting a business within the last five years, Um, but they had a specific business idea in mind, but you know, they ultimately made a decision not to, not to do so, or just wait longer. And in the year 2020, they were about 6% of the adult population. That's a good number of people. Um, And the most commonly cited reason for leaving uh, this process of entrepreneurship, and of course, in addition to inaction is um, is this concern about business survival. So you have this, I know your, yours is more a product right now at least, uh, but were you ever concerned about your product not surviving? Because, um, I mean, of course, you had different motivations to, to pitch this idea, uh, but we're just curious, have you like continued working with Gene Tunes after, after the competition? Or like, what do we, what can we expect from Gene Tunes? Can we expect it to have it our, on our apps? Can we get our genes? Sequenced, um, genome sequenced. You'll just have to wait and see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, going back to the um, barriers to entrepreneurship, I totally agree with you. In my mind, the biggest barrier to most people is just, as you said, being scared that my mm. business is going to fail. And I think that's the exact opposite mindset you should have. It's the wrong mindset. Yeah. Because if you're thinking, oh, I just don't want to fail, I don't want to fail, then you're probably not going to succeed. Mm. It's one of those things where it's like... Um, you only improve what you measure. Mm. So if you're only thinking about success, how can I succeed? How can I make my product better? Then chances are you're probably gonna make your product a little bit better. But as you're thinking, how do I not fail? How do I not fail? Yeah. Then kind of goes the other way. Exactly. Yeah. 
I mean, even more so in, in making a product or starting a business because you're not going to know how you can improve your business or product if you don't know how Unless it's Unless you know about some issues. Exactly. And you actually try to improve it and you create some issues, yeah. which is okay to do sometimes. Yep. And then you say, all right, I've mm -hmm. made some issues by trying to maybe improve my API, maybe make my tweets load faster, mm. for example. And it's like, all right, I've created a problem. How do I fix it? How do I iteratively improve my product? Yeah, I mean, those are some definitely good pointers. And so uh, I guess something I'm curious about uh, to hear from you is um, that when you have your own product, you have the, your own business, uh, especially if it's uh, primarily a solo endeavor, uh, it could be pretty personal know that you've, you've created this product and then now you're presenting it to judges uh, to or to an audience where you can see people's faces yeah, and they don't look so happy or they look, you know, and so I'm curious, how do you, um, or how have you dealt with not taking, you know, criticism too personally to be a, a reflection? Yeah. You know, you sunk a year into the project and people you, will still give you a one-star review, right? Yeah, or, I mean, you said it yourself, right? Just don't take it personally. Yeah. It's, I'm me, my product is the product. Mm. And that's the main thing for me. Yeah, you can just sure. read mean tweets all day and think about it all you want, but the product is the product at the end of the day. I see. It's not you. And, and so even for yourself, when you said you're, you know, not always the best presenter and everything, that when you had to go and present it, was that uh, harder to, you know, dissociate? You oh, know, it was totally nerve-wracking. Yeah, <laughs> yourself from the product, because then it's you selling the product, where it's now they're critiquing. You know the product but critiquing you yeah because uh, I mean the implicit thing with presentation right is it, if you talk in a certain way if you don't seem confident in your product then people are probably going to be implicitly less confident in your product therefore mm -hmm. but um to me just like knowing all the um, faults that I had with my product and all the possible pitfalls and knowing every single little detail about it just made me more confident Mm -hmm. answering questions about cost um, how much would this cost how much would it cost to host on like a website stuff like that I mean I already messed up like 20 times working on that problem so I felt pretty <laughs> confident answering the questions that were asked I see and so w was it completely a solo endeavor or did you have a, a team of other students or um, people working with you student wise it was just me working on it okay. but um, I had a lot of help from Dr. Ronholt and from um Mr. Shirley, who was, um, he was the business side of the proposal. So what I really liked what they did is every single group had like a scientific advisor, if you will, mm -hmm. like a PhD, more like versed in the field of what would actually work technically as a product. And then someone who would help you like on the sales side, on the business side. Mm. So what my second semester basically looked like is I would work on the product all week, I would mess up, I'd have like some final review, like version 1.5, whatever, and I would show it to Dr. Arnholt over like a Zoom call and he would say, nope, sucks, I don't wanna see it. <laughs> Write it again, I would say, all right. Then I'd go to Greenville the next day, drive to Greenville, meet with these people and they would help me talk through like, all right, what is my product? How am I gonna sell my product? How am I gonna market my product? How do I wanna talk about my product? Things like this. Mm -hmm. And that was all built into the this Catalyst program? Yeah, it was all built in. Wow, that was very cool. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool, but you have this kind of... I really enjoyed that they put um, two advisors, kind of like yeah, like a chimera almost, like a two-headed <laughs> dog, <laughs> because that's what a company is. It's Absolutely. like you have your R&D and you have your sales and you have product. There's a lot of components that go into making a good product. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I think that was like, that's such an important piece of having an interdisciplinary team, right? Like you're talking about the Chimera, because yeah. you have these different set of eyes giving you, um, I mean, maybe, hopefully not like uh, conflicting feedback, but it's just something that you're seeing through a different lens, right? Yeah. And you're also getting expertise from people who have different life experiences and skills. So I think it's, it's such an important part to have. Yeah, and there's plenty of parallel stuff in business. Like, mm. for example, if I'm working on something in my company and I have to pitch my idea or show me idea, my idea, the sales team might say, hey, but does this work for mm. these customers or maybe routing through Canada, for example, which yeah. I would have totally never thought of if I had just like talked to only the engineering team. Right. But now I have to show my idea to the sales people, to the product people. Mm. And they say, well, maybe this doesn't work as well as you thought. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's 
something. I guess that ties really well into your. Um, it, it does. Right yeah. on. I was. I'm actually. Is that something you want to ask him or? No. Okay. Cool. I was going to ask you like, because um, it is definitely like you mentioned like you know there's different kind of groups and, and professionals that you want to get advice from but but how does what is the we are very interested in this idea of creative problem solving in fact we had an episode with Kyle Christensen who talked about um, how you can how you can do so so of course like yours was more of like a you know self-driven solo endeavor um, but um, but how do you approach um, creative problem solving especially when you have interdisciplinary mentors if you will yeah um well, for me, learning computer science and data structures and how to think algorithmically mm. was one of like the best gifts I could have asked for in starting computer science because it just gives you a huge mental model of how I should think about things, how I should interpret information, and how I should use that information to solve problems, which goes back to why I think everyone should take a computer science class because mm. it's not so much like, oh, I don't know how do you make a computer print. It's teaching you a way to think Absolutely. in my mind. Yeah. So I view everything problem solving wise through a computer science lens. That's good. Yeah. That's definitely making you think in a different way than because I don't know about you, but for me in biology and genetics, it was just taking learning about the same thing in different flavors. And would you say it was almost like a systems approach? Sure. Yeah. 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 And and I was just like, man, I'm not thinking th through problems in in a way where where I can look at it from a from an engineer's lens because the way they problem solve is like completely different uh, or at least it f feels to me completely different um, but, but I think one thing that we probably should talk about is this idea of uh, uh, like when you do present because there's definitely some um, I don't know you, you shared that you were not super comfortable with it so we'll let Scott take the next one yeah um, unless you had something else no, I was just trying to think uh, if if uh, physics, uh, right, if the mindset that uh, uh, is different in terms of solving the problems. The issue that can sometimes run into is that you've been doing all the problems that you're doing in college or problems that have been done like a billion times before. That's so, definitely true. Right? So yeah. the problem is then they're teaching you a method for solving problems, which can be, you know, it can be helpful. So in engineering, you know, it's the sort of the same way. But uh, I think, because right, once you have a system in, in place of how you solve a problem, it can be really useful. But then the question is, what when you come to a problem where that system doesn't work for yeah. it, right? Because then it's, right now you're dealing with unknown unknowns, and so it's... That's like big in your field, right? Astrophysics the, is all about that. To me, that's like, I don't know a lot about physics besides just like what I've read from books, yeah. like Carlo Rovelli, his books. Mm -hmm. But um, to me, like computer science, is, it's applied physics, right? Because it's... How do you move electrons? Well, mm. physics knows all about electrons. <laughs> We've written Maxwell's laws, whatever it may be. Mm. Yeah. So I feel like physics is a very different beast than computer science. But well, oh, go ahead. No, I. You go well, ahead. what I think is also kind of funny, if, if I can have put my two cents in, <laughs> is that that there's also a whole philosophy underlying, like, uh, what is actually happening, right? This idea of you know what is actually causality. Right. What is, you know, and then you get into all these, uh, you know, I always recommend for people is to look in the Wikipedia page of the different uh, philosophical interpretations of quantum mechanics because they're very, the very different and the consequences are, you know, in terms of like a, maybe a philosophically uh, minded person is, are quite uh, different and quite important. But at the end of the day, we know that it works. And we just ignore the philosophical implications of it, yeah, which totally. which is you know for that one it's you're really going down the rabbit hole. But even for classical mechanics, if you go back to you know uh, motion with like I think Aristotle and whatnot, they had this idea of you know oh what is actually motion and sort of these like paradoxes of you know oh it's still if you took you know images basically the arrow is you know it looks still it looks still it looks still yeah you know and so they believe that like. Um some substances depended on like they were either heavenly or earthly so like fire rose mm. because it was a heavenly substance and rocks fell yeah that's, that's just unrelated but i mean yeah there's so many ways you could think about like the problem of induction for example mm -hmm. like is the sun really going to rise tomorrow well obviously we could think about that all day but the sun's probably going to rise tomorrow yeah. but i mean one of the main things i've learned just taking science courses and reading books 
is that science is a lot about being okay saying you don't understand something mm -hmm. and trying to improve your knowledge of the world, your model of the world, for example. Yeah. Because, I mean, we have some pretty great models, obviously, of how the world works, thanks to physics. Yeah. But, obviously, they're not done yet, and there's a lot of people who are excited to solve those problems. Well, and, and exactly and what, what you said is, is you, you have a model that works really well most of the time, right? That's exactly like Newtonian physics. And Newtonian so, physics works until, was it the orbit of Mercury? Yeah, right, yeah, for, for the planets, right? So yeah. yeah, exactly. And then it's, oh, you need general relativity mm -hmm. because you're near a, a heavier body, right? The yeah. sun. So yeah, it, it, anyways, I, you know. And now it's like, oh, the universe is expanding a little bit faster yeah. than we thought it would. Why is that? <laughs> so... You know, it's uh, it's interesting just because you know I think that's that's a piece that is missed actually a lot in science is that people are just taught things, but they're not necessarily taught a a philosophy of you know not necessarily the implications, but I guess that that's the case. But also you know what is the system you're working in, right? And and that you know to be wholly self consistent is I think important in science, or else you know I think you know I've said this before is. Uh, you know, how many people will tell you that the earth is not flat, but then you ask them why they're just, they just say, you know, people told me so. Yeah, right? I was you know? taught that. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, it, it, what you're saying in terms of, you know, being okay with being wrong about something or not knowing something fully is okay, but one should, you know, really approach things in a manner of how can I understand this, you know, to the best of my ability until the, at least I'm convinced. Yeah. How can I reason from first principles that what I'm seeing is actually real? Yeah. Because, right. I mean, our, lies, our eyes lie to us all the time, right? Like, it seems mm. like there's no space here, but actually we're just swimming in a sea of particles. Yeah, that we don't see. Yeah, and that's okay that I don't see them, and that's science. Yeah. No. So, anyways, I guess uh, what, uh, diverting from, from, from this rabbit hole, uh, <laughs> as we sort of wind up a little bit here, we're, we're curious uh, about... Um, when you're going in and, and you have now your, your end product and you're having to pitch it, can you sort of break us down sort of an, an anatomy of, of a business pitch, or at least for you, a, a winning business pitch, right, of, of how you sort of went about that? Or, uh, or is it just, uh, you know, you just believe, hey, my work is in the product, you know, I just believe in that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, it's a pretty technical product, right? Mm -hmm. Not everyone is going to understand, like, most people... I'm actually taking a philosophy course right now, and one statistic that I learned is like 70% of the population understands science at like a high school level, mm. which is like something to think about when you're pitching a product. So whenever I was writing my pitch, I was like, I am going to make this as simple as I possibly can, and I'm going to present the product in the most natural way that I can. Mm. Because for me, the product was, it's music, right? It's not something I have to like explain how to use an iPhone or explain how an operating system works. Yeah. I can just play the music and you decide if you like it or not. Mm -hmm. So that was a really easy part for me to pitch the product compared to some of the other teams there who might have had to you know, give like a demonstration of something a bit more complex than just clicking play on a music box. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was simplify, simplify, simplify your explanation of the product and give very clear and concise answers as to what it does and what it's going to do for you. Yeah. And why it's valuable to you is That's the main good. question. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm guessing you guys have watched Shark Tank no, at yeah. some point. And, and I <laughs> sorry, I feel like it's very easy for us as like people who are very technically minded mm -hmm. scientists to want to talk about technical details about things that we're working on. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of like the reverse for a product, right? That's right. I don't want to talk about the technical details because mm. you don't really care about how the technical details work. You care about, do I really like this? Do mm. I like this Netflix show? Do, is, is it really simple? Absolutely. Do I automatically see like what's new to me or what's at the top of my feed? Mm. These kind of things. That's good, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's true for like science communication in general, right? Is, is your, is your science, uh, of course, you do want to get technical, especially in your field. Um, but are you still presenting it in a way where you, like Dr. Anholz actually came on our, uh, the podcast and, and shared, like, you know, keep your audience in mind as, yeah. as, you, as you, and I'm guessing you're probably pitching to like a chimera of scientists and entrepreneurs yeah, as I mean, judges, right? To me, like a real beautiful pitch is something that's like explained implicitly. Like mm -hmm. 
I don't have to talk about it a lot. You already understand. Right. Mm. And that's what makes a great pitch or great explanation. Right. I like that a lot. Like E equals MC squared. That's just so mm. elegant. You can just look at it. It's a very simple equation, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have to go into detail about what it means. You already understand what it means, just mm. looking at it. Um, I think we can just talk about the, the uh, again, in light of this Catalyst program, which again is happening on March 15th, where all the uh, contestants, the participants are pitching yeah, their you ideas. You guys should all go there, everyone listening. Absolutely. Uh, and and I think it's, it's an accelerator program, which is basically a cohort-based program uh, that provides access to you know supportive services like mentorship training and, and I think Jack just described that uh, so it's definitely yeah. worth taking that you know uh, going overcoming any fear of failure and just and just going for it and <laughs> to uh, me there's like there's incubator is more like idea centric where like you want to incubate your ideas and your business model where an accelerator is more like a monetary thing where like mm -hmm. I will raise this much money in this funding round. Uh, to accelerate my business forward. Okay, but the thing I liked about Catalyst is it kind of like a, a mix of both, right? Because you get some funding money, so you're accelerating a little bit. You're sure. putting like your foot on the gas a little bit. Yeah. And then you're also talking people through like, all right, as you're moving forward a little bit, you have this much funding. What are you going to do with this idea? And then the pitch is like a funding round, essentially. For sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's what I was going to say. It seemed like Catalyst was just like a mini, you know, startup central where yeah, here's a little bit of money we'll help you out you know there's some selection process at first and then here's some money and then we'll give you support to, yeah to we'll give you. you more money if we like your product which is just what markets do right that's yeah. what accelerators yeah. do if we yeah. like your product we pay for it yeah and, yeah and there's many benefits of being part of one where um, so a recent study of nearly six thousand startups um, shows that, uh, that participated in an accelerator that, found um, that the average amount raised was 3.37 million and 23 percent raised more than five hundred thousand dollars within a year of graduation so graduation is referred to the demo days which is what culminates in the final pitch that you make which is what's happening on march 15th to like judges and investors um and other studies show that accelerator participants have been uh, found more likely to achieve long-term outcomes such as employment growth and accelerators are designed to accelerate growth and can provide entrepreneurs with, with access to right like we just talked about um, how he had access to uh, people in, in Greenwood in the Greenwood genetics uh, uh, human cell human center for genetics I think that's what they call them GGC yeah yeah and Greenwood um, the genetic center as well um, so basically it's providing access and and um, you know so it, growth happens of course slowly but entrepreneurs that don't seek immediate or rapid growth uh, may not need an accelerator if they need more time so I think it's kind of like you said a mixture of a incubator and, and an accelerator at the same time is there mm -hmm. a specific word for a mixture of an incubator and an accelerator hmm an accelerator in accelerator, I don't know. <laughs> we can yeah. we can make one. No, anyways, I, I think that uh, you know at least with these these stats that uh, you were saying here that uh, it's quite hopeful actually. It's kind of what my takeaway is, and that a lot of people you know it's it's arduous, it's it's difficult to, to have a startup, but uh, it's a sort of amazing that there are uh, so many startups that are fulfilling new needs that people before felt that they weren't being met, right? Yeah, that you have, totally. You know, that constantly there are new startups each year, that we're not in some plateau where everyone feels that their life doesn't need anything new anymore. Yeah, But that totally. they're, that, you know, I don't know if it's uh, just through, you know, it's, and they're not just all new codes, they're not just all apps, right? That mm -hmm. a lot of them are, are other products. And and, um, and so, you know, it, it, it's kind of cool to know that, you know, humans aren't yet, fully satisfied right that there's always something that you can provide people to bring them joy happiness and and the fulfillment as well so totally uh, i think that's a that's a, a pretty neat thing to have uh and at least hope for people you know trying to pursue a project that uh, you know there's still it's not like the market's completely saturated it's there's yeah. still a niche you can fill one of um one of the biggest misconceptions i had during this whole process was that um like there's no way I'm gonna find a product because everything there's already an idea for everything. Mm -hmm. There's no way I can make a better product than somebody who's doing this before me. It was kind of like I don't know if you guys are familiar with this quote. It was like somebody in the 20s was like, "There's nothing more to invent 
all the inventions have been made in like the 1920s, some yeah. patent officer yeah. in the US. But I mean, obviously that's not the case, right? <laughs> Everybody in every age has thought, well, there's nothing more to do. We've gone as far as we can, but yeah. there's always a new product to make. There's always new things to be found. So that's it's just sure. up to you to find it, really. Well, I like yeah. that. That sounds like an ending to me. That sounds like an ending to me. Well, thanks. Um, thanks, Jack, for your time. And, uh, yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely.